just want to give you a little update. Uh, I, I, uh, I feel like I, I miss you guys. I haven't seen you. I was here last Sunday, but Monday morning, uh, I left for Colorado Springs to the annual Vineyard Missional Leaders Meeting. Every year in October, uh, all of the leadership across the Vineyard USA that is involved in international cross-cultural min- missions, as well as uh, our Multiply Vineyard leadership, which is the church planting in the U.S. arm of Vineyard, meet together in Colorado Springs for a week. And I am going to uh, be a little vulnerable, too, and just say, this is my favorite week of the year. Uh, of all, I mean, we do regional conferences and national conferences, and, and like Shane said, I think anytime you're with the family, it's always a blessing. But this thing knocks my socks off every year. And, and the reason is... Um, you, you, you spend a week with people who are intensely passionate about the kingdom, and you just hear story after story after story of what God's doing around the world. Uh, four days of that. I literally, uh, by, by uh, Friday morning or Thursday night, actually, I, I said, I, we gotta, this has got to end. We've got to go home. I can't cry anymore. If I cry anymore, my head is going to explode, and it's going to be bad for everyone. So we've got to go home. I'm going to take few minutes, I want to share with you a few highlights. We hear reports from the different partnerships working all around the world. Take four days to go over all of it. But a couple things that stood out in my mind, I just want to share with you. One, I was excited about this. Uh, Cuba. As you know, there's been political change and some things in Cuba's opened up and there's some new relationship happening with the United States there. So we have, there's a couple that attends a vineyard church in New York City. And uh, the wife of the couple is half Cuban. Her mother is Cuban. So they were actually in Cuba visiting family. And while they're there, and this is one of those, you know, divine appointment, Holy Spirit-inspired little meeting, somehow randomly they run into this dude named Roberto who is planting house churches in Cuba. So he's, he's overseeing a network of, he's got 20 house churches going in Cuba. So they're going, man, this is so exciting. Who are you working with? And he goes, well, no one. I'm just, I'm, I'm just doing this on my own. And, and she goes, wait, you're not, you don't have any help? No one's helping you? You're a good man. Uh, you're thinking about your microphone, aren't you? Um, he goes, no, I'm just doing it all on my own. And she goes, well, hey, we're part of this church, and there's other churches. We work in other countries, and we plant churches, and we've got resources and material and training material we can help you with, and we've got people that will partner with you and work with you. And he goes, man, that would be awesome. So they ended up bringing him to the, to the leadership meeting, and so now Roberto is, is working with people to, within the vineyard to get some support and encouragement, and we, start, we launched a, a vineyard partnership in Cuba. So we have several U.S. churches now working with him to help uh, develop church planning in Cuba. So I thought that was pretty exciting. I didn't know this. I found out this week that we have, there are 11 vineyard churches in Russia. And uh, I was so impressed. You know, like sometimes when you're joking and, you know, somebody's going far away, and you go like outer Siberia, you know, you kind of, it's like, that's the farthest it can get. So there's a little city called Norilsk. And Norilsk is above the Arctic Circle. Okay, so if you look at the map, it's like the North Pole and then Norilsk. It's, it's colder than a frozen dog there. It never goes above freezing, ever. And there's this couple that are there planting a church in Norilsk, a vineyard church. And I'm just going, are you kidding me? It's like Jesus said, go to the uttermost parts. But that's like, I, it's cold. It was just amazing. Uh, one of the things that's super exciting right now in our movement is 
Vineyard is really exploding in the Middle East and in predominantly Muslim countries. And we have vineyards happening in Iran, Pakistan, uh, Lithuania, Tajikistan, Iraq. Uh, we saw a video. There's a young woman. This was so moving to me. Uh, she came to the United States, immigrated to the U.S. from Iraq, uh, got saved, and has been attending the vineyard in Columbus and getting discipled. And I don't know... I, I think some of you know I've shared a little bit of the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer before, and Bonhoeffer was in the U.S., and his friends were being persecuted in Germany, so he went back. And so this woman's story is similar. They interviewed her, and she said, look, I'm here, and my family and friends, people I know are in Iraq, and I can't stay here and not go back and tell them what I know. And so she's preparing now, and uh, our our church planning partnership in, in uh, the Persian countries is working with her to prepare to go back and help. We have churches happening there. So that was pretty awesome. My friend, Eugenio Maltez, who is our national coordinator in Nicaragua, who I work with, he and his wife, Ana Patricia, were at the conference. And Eugenio shared a story with us that I thought was pretty amazing. He said there's a young woman in one of the churches in Managua there who is a, uh, a single mom, and, and she's a teenager. She's very young, and she became pregnant. So she's pregnant and, and uh, she gets, she's pretty far along, almost, you know, due, and starts developing some, developing some complications. And then uh, she gets a place where she is concerned. She can't feel the baby move and nothing's happening. So she goes to the doctor and the doctor does an ultrasound and he says, there's no heartbeat. And he goes, I'm sorry, ma'am you know, your, your baby has died. And, um, so she's of course just devastated. And the, the doctor walks out and she's in this room by herself. She's all alone. And I don't know, you can kind of imagine just in her mind, you, you know, all the things you might be thinking at that moment, playing through. And then she just says, no, I believe God heals and I'm going to pray. And so she's all by herself. So she lays hands on herself and starts praying and she's crying and crying out to God and she's praying and, and she feels the baby kick. And so she screams, and the doctor comes back in. Why are you screaming? And she goes, the baby moved. And he, he goes, no, I'm sorry, your, your, your baby's dead. She goes, no, check again. And he goes, you know, he's, he's thinking, well, you know, she's, it's psychotic. She's not, she's not dealing with the reality. He says, no, I'm sorry, your baby's died. She says, no, check again. And he checks, and he goes, yeah, your baby's alive. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. I, here's, I, this, is, this, is the, this is the coup de grace, though. i got to tell you this. I'm going to share this because I have to let you in. I, I, you know how some things, if you, if you don't believe, if you don't, you know, I would, this is one of those things I, I, had a, I had trouble believing. The only reason I believe it is because I know these guys. I know them, and I know that they're credible. So uh, 40 years of, of ministry and missions work, I have never, ever in all that time heard a story about a hitman being converted. And I heard two stories about hitmen being converted, literally back to back in within two minutes of each other. And I'm going, seriously? So I'm talking to this guy, John Marsden, who works in uh, Mexico. We have three vineyard partnerships in Mexico, and he works because it's a big country and a lot of people, and we have a lot of churches there. He works in, in central Mexico, so he's, he told me about Mexico City. Um, you know, uh, the, some of the Latin American cartels, we associate them primarily with 
with drugs, right? With illegal drugs. But the, the truth of the matter is those are businesses and their business is making money and they'll do whatever they can do to make money. So uh, many of the cartels have expanded their horizons a little bit and they're now dealing in other areas as well, including human trafficking. For those of you that don't know, on the black market in the world, uh, drugs are still the, the number one product. Uh, up until just a few years ago, guns and weapons were always number two, but that has been surpassed. There's more money made now selling human beings than there are selling weapons in the world. So the, the, some of these cartels are working in human trafficking as well. So John tells me this story about this young girl uh, in Mexico who was kidnapped into slavery, and somehow through some people there and some ministry, she was rescued and brought out. She, she get, they, they, they were able to get her back out, but apparently she had seen people and had information that they didn't want somebody that's not with them to have, so they hire a hitman. They put a hit out on this young woman. So these guys are moving her from house to house, trying to stay away from this guy, but he has his own connections and his own network, and he's following them. So finally they decide, we can't outrun this guy. The only thing we can do is confront him. So some of these guys from this organization go out to meet this guy. And they, they walk out and start talking to him. And, and through conversation and whatever, Holy Spirit, they lead the guy to the Lord. So he gets saved. Now here's the thing. This is what he says. He, he goes, I just have one question. And they go, yeah, what? And he goes, who are the guys that guard your house? They go, what guys? He goes, the two big guys. He goes, every house you guys have been at, there's two guys. They're huge. They're giant. Seven foot tall guys. They're at the door of every house. And the dude's like, we, we don't have guys. We don't know what you're talking about. I'd never heard a story before in my life where Christians in ministry didn't see angels, but the bad guy saw the angels. And it just was unbelievable to me. You know, that's his question. Who are those guys? Uh, so this is why this week is crazy and why I had to come home. Um, John tells me that story. I literally turn around, sit down at a table, and my friend Ross Nelson, who uh, works with us in Nicaragua, his church is in Wisconsin, and Ross sits down, and there was a young man in Nicaragua working with us for a while. He was I-61, you know, the Boise Vineyards Ministry, I-61 is there, and we have some churches in Managua, and he was working with them. And Ross asked me if I'd met him, and I said, no, I never got to meet him. He had since moved on. And Ross goes, that guy's story is crazy. I go, what's his story? He says, this guy is a genius, first of all, and as a teenager, he's a North American guy. He made millions of dollars in the stock market. He's just had this natural knack, and he's, he's a financial genius. And so as that's happening, of course, as a young person and whatever, you know, you get, you get that spirit on you where that becomes your focus, making more and more money. So he starts doing things illegally. He's doing insider trading. He's doing other things. And the next thing you know, once you go down that path, it's hard to get off. So he's doing more and more illegal things and making more and more money illegally. And at the end of the day, he ends up getting hired by two separate cartels to launder their money. They say, we want this guy because he's smart. He knows money. So now he's laundering millions and millions of dollars that are made illegally through the sale of human trafficking and drugs and other things. And he's, he's laundering those through channels and through the stock market to make it legal and then bring it back so that they can spend the money. Crazy, crazy stuff, right? 
So this guy gets saved. I, and I didn't, Ross didn't tell me how he became a Christian, but this guy becomes a Christian. And so he decides, well, if I'm a Christian, I probably can't really be doing this anymore. So, so he quits, right? He quits. But you can't quit that job, right? So, you know, he obviously has tons of information. He knows way more than he needs to know. So they put a hit on this guy. So, and I, I, don't, I didn't get all the details. Ross is just telling this, but this is, a, this is amazing to me. He's, he's at his house, and he's by himself, and he knows these people are looking for him. And so he's watching out, and this hitman is, is shows up, and he knows it. And he doesn't know what to do, so he just calls out to God. He prays, and he says, God, I, I, you know, help me. You have to help me. I don't know what to do. And this is what the Lord says to him. Open the door and invite him in. Now, here, parenthetical comment here. If you ever had one of those words of knowledge where God says, like, go over and talk to that guy, but you don't know what you're supposed to say when you get there, right? You know what I'm talking about? That's like, you have to take a risk. There's a step of faith involved in the process. It's kind of like that, but not exactly. The hitman's here, open the door and invite him in. So he opens the door and invites the guy in. The guy comes in and he goes, well, let me tell you what happened. And he just tells him his story and the guy gets saved. I mean, it's just, this is the stuff you, I go, you can't make that up. I mean, that's just too crazy. So it was a good week. It was a, it was a really fun week. Um, we have been talking about some of that same dynamic here the last few weeks. It's been on my heart. I, it was really good for me, confirmation, uh, talking about being missional and about loving our community and about getting outside the church and really blessing others with the blessing that God's given us. And that was really one of the themes that kind of ran through the week. A uh, number of people shared on very similar topics. Uh, the, the message on... Uh, I can't remember when she spoke, but one of the morning messages, a young gal named Kathy Maskell spoke. And Kathy, this is one of those things, man. She, her and her husband, Caleb, work at the Blue Root Vineyard in Philly, and she works mostly in the vineyard justice uh, area, working on, you know, social justice and those things. And she is the most... So let me just tell you a little bit. Kathy is Vietnamese-American. Uh, she was born in the United States, but she kind of has that Asian demeanor of being, she's very soft-spoken, very quiet, you know, very reserved person. She also is about five foot two and probably doesn't weigh quite a hundred pounds. So she's not, when you see her, you don't think power. You think this is a very small, quiet, timid sort of person. And when she speaks, she speaks that way as well. It's not like she's, you know, all worked up and powerful. But her message, the content of her message was so powerful. I mean, literally, everyone in the room was just devastated. You know, I'm thinking this message should be coming out of the mouth of a 300-pound black Pentecostal guy who's yelling and screaming and sweating. You know what I mean? It was like that. It's like... But she's just so calm, and she's talking about this. So it was, it was awesome. It was a great week. Uh, let's pray, and then I'll teach for 10 minutes or 15. Father, thanks for uh, your word. Pray you would uh, just open your word to us and help us to receive from you this morning. In your name we pray, amen. I want to share a verse that uh, many of you are familiar with. You probably heard this before. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. How many of you heard that verse before? How many of you have ever had somebody pray that verse for you? Or prophesy that verse to you. Several of you. It's good. It's good. How did you did you like that? Was it good? So good. Yeah, that's a good word, right? Who would not want to get that word? That's a very good word. Um, God says, 
I, I know you. I know plans I have for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be there for you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm not going to harm you. I'm going to give you a hope of you. That's good. I like that. That's a very good word. I think anybody would be excited to get that word. Uh, I want to context, right? So I want to give you a few verses that uh, follow that, that give us a little more information. That was verse 11, 12 through 14 says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So, a few things, a little context. Number one, as powerful as that word is, God says I, I, you have a hope and a future. The reality is that that future is in the future. That's not happening right now. Someday those good things are going to happen for you. But right now, uh, your current situation is not that yet. Currently, right now, your present situation is what? You're in captivity. You're in captivity. Um, Now, again, that's a great word to receive. Anybody would appreciate hearing that. But how much more so if you're in a situation where currently you don't know if you have a hope in a future. If you're in a situation where you can't see above the waterline, you're below the waterline, and you can't see the future, you don't have much hope left, how much more meaningful would that word be in that situation? We also learn that these people are not in their home. They're scattered. They're, they're, they're not together. They're fragmented. They're broken down. They're in different places. And then... The other thing we learn there is that all of the current situation that is happening has happened at the hand of the Lord. So, so there's a complexity to that word and to the situation that that word is spoken into that we don't see from verse 11. Anybody agree? So verse 11, standing alone, that's good. But now we, we really get a little insight into the complexity of this situation. Uh I want to back up a little further to the verses preceding verse 11 because there's some more insight there. God begins to speak and give Israel, and this is a word spoken to Israel as they are in exile, some instructions as to how they're to live now. The future hope is coming. I've got really good things coming, but here's what I want you to do right now, today, while you're in captivity. So this is what he says, beginning in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, this is significant. I want to give you a little history so we know this. But those two, God is speaking here. This this is actual situation. Jerusalem and Babylon here are actual historical, geographical locations. They were in Jerusalem, they're now in Babylon, okay? But those, those two places have significance spiritually in Scripture as well, right? So Babylon, again, as mentioned here, they're actually in Babylon, but in Scripture, Babylon is always representative of godlessness, Babylon is representative of a rebellion. Babylon is representative of 
beginning with Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. Babel, Babylon, same word, same place, same thing. Babylon is representative of arrogant humanity thinking I can do this on my own and I don't need any help from God. And it's rebellion against God. That's always what Babylon means all through the Old Testament. When you move into the New Testament, Babylon is referenced as well. And Babylon here, it's that same dynamic, but on a larger scale, it almost means, or really does mean, the, the totality of the evil world system. You know what I mean? There's, we understand, I, I think, that warfare dynamic of the kingdom of God and this other kingdom that's happening. And Babylon really represents that, this kingdom of darkness, this world, all those different phrases that Paul uses. That's what Babylon is. Jerusalem, on the other hand, of course, is the city of God. It, it, notice in Scripture, just check it out, just look it up, do a study. You always go up to Jerusalem. No matter where you are, you go up to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem is the city of God, that's where God is. So Babylon is where God is, and Jerusalem is where God is. They were in Jerusalem, God has taken them into exile in Babylon. Now, the other thing I would say about this, if you move that forward to today, in our world today, modern Christians very often will talk about living in Babylon. Anybody ever heard that phrase? Feels like we're living in Babylon. Um, so we still sort of have in this mindset that the, the anti-God, the darkness, the world that we live in, uh, really in some ways that system, you know, is, is Babylon. And when we hear, let's, let's just again move it into the to contemporary setting, we hear stories of human trafficking, like I shared this morning. Um, when you read the statistics on abortion, when you see the injustices that are happening, when you realize the amount of people that die of hunger every day in the world, when you realize the amount of people that die of waterborne illnesses, okay, we're not talking about cancer and uncurable diseases, we're talking about waterborne illnesses that can be cured by clean water. When you hear about that, it feels like Babylon. What's happening in the world? Why can't we solve these problems? And so <clears throat> what that does, I believe, is there are a variety of responses from Christians as to what do we do about this, one of those that I've seen historically, maybe some of you have seen or felt this a little bit, is this idea that uh, what we need to do is kind of pull away and sort of get together and cloister ourselves. And if we get in this little Christian enclave where there's only Christians in here and we only do Christian things and we keep the big bad world outside, then we'll be okay. That's sort of one response to this sort of understanding. The world is so bad, the only thing I can do is not be in the world. i got to be over here in my own little hideout so that none of the bad cooties get on me. Another response, I think, and this one probably more common, especially where we live in, in, the, in kind of mainstream evangelicalism in America, I think, is that we want to overthrow Babylon. We want to overthrow Babylon. And if we can just get the, the right person, if we can get a Christian president and Christian governors and Christian police chiefs, and, and we can kind of take over Babylon, then everyone will have to play nice, right? And so the world will be a better place. Now, I, I understand that. I'm not critical to the point of saying I just don't get that. I get it. And, and end result, I don't know that I fully disagree with the end result, but how you get there, I, I think I have a little different perspective on that. And I'll be frank, I sort of share my perspective with Jeremiah. Verses 5 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You're going to love this. Build houses and settle down. I'll read it first. 
Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Okay, a couple things. First of all, they're going to be there for a while. Did you catch that? They're going to be there for a while. Now, we know historically from this text as well as others that the exile actually lasted 70 years. So they're going to be there for a while. He says, establish yourselves where you are. Build homes, plant gardens, eat the food of this garden, marry, get married, get your kids married. Live your lives. Live your lives. Don't let Babylon stop you from living your life. Can I say amen? Can I hear an amen? Come on. Don't let Babylon stop you from living your life. Here's the deal. You're still my people. I'm still your God. Trust in me. Trust in me. You, this may not be the best situation you could ever be in right now, but don't be constrained by Babylon. Do not be constrained by Babylon. We have the opportunity to be salt and light in Babylon. We have the opportunity, I, I shared last week, if we're going to make a difference in the world, we have to tell a different story. And I, I really believe when Jeremiah is saying, live, thrive, get married, live your lives, plant gardens, build houses, we have the opportunity to be a witness in the midst of Babylon. I don't think it's by overthrowing Babylon necessarily politically. I don't think it's by cloistering away. I think it's by telling a different story right in the middle of Babylon and being who God's called us to be. I think that's what makes people like these crazy hitmen go, I, I don't know what you've got, but I want that. Here, here is the upside-down king, kingdom. This is the upside-down kingdom, you know, just illustrated right here. Verse 7, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. Pray for your city. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your country. Pr pray, pray into those situations. How many of us do that? If we pray that God will bring peace to this city, we'll have peace. If we pray that God will prosper this place, we'll have prosperity. I mean, we know that to be true, just, you know, on a, on a natural level, right? If the, if the economy's good, it's good for everybody, right? Um, bless the place you're in. I, this is the thing that's just been on my heart. Uh, we blessed to be a blessing, right? God's blessed us. Can we not share that blessing? Can, can we not be that people that says, we're going to serve this community, we're going to pray for this community, we're going we're to ask God to bless this community. When he says seek, let me tell you this, I... We were in Colorado. I didn't have the opportunity. I'm going to do a word study later. I didn't study the word seek in the Greek, but, or I guess it's Hebrew, if it's, if it's Jeremiah. I, I, I don't believe he means just look for it. I think seek has a bigger context than that. It really means pursue it. It really means go after it. Go after the peace of the city. You get out there and do that. <coughs> do you remember? I told you 10 minutes. Not bad, huh? Do you remember when Jesus said, uh, and this is a paraphrase, he didn't say it exactly this way, but the, the, the essence of it is, be in the world but not of the world. Anybody remember that? Be in the world but not of the world. What did he mean by that? I think he meant the same thing Jeremiah means here. I think Jeremiah's word 
to Israel in exile is the exact same word that Jesus gave to the disciples. Uh, be in this world, but not of it. Live a different life. Uh, do what you do. Live your life in the midst of this world under the guidance of my kingdom. That's what I think Jesus is saying. And I believe that Israel had the opportunity to see transformation come to Babylon, and we have the opportunity to see transformation come to our communities and our cities. And I believe it begins by doing simple things. I begin, it believes, by, number one, living our lives, and number two, sharing what God's given to us to others and stepping out in faith. I hear stories, I've heard stories about all week, I hear stories from some of you, just what's happening when we live our lives and we step out in faith and we walk in what God's given us. And I, I believe we have the opportunity to transform our communities by doing that. And so I'm excited, in case you couldn't tell, to do things like rake and run. It seems simple. It seems so simple. But I believe God can bless that in such a way that people go, what the heck is the deal with this? Why are you spending Saturday raking up my leaves? I, I, I believe there's incredible power. I, I'll, I'll tell you another little story. Just because. If five minutes. After the conference was over on Friday, I, I have some dear, dear friends in Colorado Springs, and so I went, kind of made it an annual event. I go spend Friday night with them and hang out, and Saturday come home, so I didn't get home till last night. And this really is probably one of my best friends in the whole world. And, and, and it's amazing the way God has connected us. And we used to, we were on staff together in Anaheim. And he left there and worked at a very large church in Texas and went through a lot of difficult things, and ultimately kind of got embittered and he left the church and left the ministry and so he and his family have not gone to church in years and years they still believe in the lord and they still love the lord and they still care for the poor in their own way and they they do what they believe they're called to do but he was a little disillusioned uh no he was a lot disillusioned so we were having breakfast yesterday morning it was a beautiful day in colorado springs we're sitting on this patio at this mexican restaurant eating huevos rancheros and uh come on Come on. Uh, I, I don't know how we got on the topic, but I started telling him about our food pantry. And he goes, you serve food to 40 families in your community every week? I go, yeah, 30, 40, I don't know. And he goes, you do 50 Thanksgiving boxes? Go, yeah. And he just started crying. He just started crying. And he goes, you know, that's what I always believed we were supposed to do, and that's why I left, because nobody was doing that. I go, there's people doing it. We're not the only ones. But it's happening. It's out there. And, and I believe we have the opportunity. I've got another whole message I can't wait to give you. I could do it right now, but I think we're out of time. Um, I, I think we have the opportunity to see change come to people's lives every day. So why don't we stand? 